Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Or copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 7. The book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number 7. As a reminder of context that we've been following the life and ministry of King Solomon. That King Solomon has uh, become the king and as he's become king he has now worked over the last several years of building a temple for the Lord. He goes through a big uh, deal of sanctifying and dedicating the temple to the Lord. And then in the middle of the dedication, Solomon takes time in 2 Chronicles chapter number 6 to pray to God. And as he prays to God, he lists seven specific prayer requests that he prayed to God that we can have the expectation that God would hear and answer. And in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, we see the result, the God's working as a result of the prayers that Solomon had made in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 6. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, we now pick this up with the context of Solomon dedicating the temple, taking time to pray to God. We now see as God answers back. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and notice with me starting at verse number 12. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For I for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the beginning of this very common statement, this very common verse dealing with revival, the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Just notice that first uh, phrase, if my people... If my people, and with the Lord's help, we want to explain this verse, very powerful verse, in the context that it is found in and find out that the power that's truly lied in here when we see it in context. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, I'm just asking that you would open up your Bible in a special way that we can see truly what this verse says, how it applies to us, that we may apply it correctly and be able to expect you to work the way that you said that you would work, that we could trust in you. Lord, I'm asking that you would give power and strength beyond measure, beyond what I have of myself. Lord, because this is a very misapplied uh, message that oftentimes it will go against what people have ingrained in their minds. I'm asking that there would be a humbleness within ourselves to be attentive, to be taught, to be learned, and to expect you to do your own work the way that you said you would do it. Lord, again, fill me with your spirit. I surrender my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. Those are all set aside. And you just do what you want to get done using me as your instrument and blessing and honoring your own word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Without a doubt, this verse is 
the verse that is most associated with revival. If anybody's been associated with a Bible preaching church, without a doubt you've heard someone even make reference to this message, if not preached a full message. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And so what happens is that people look at this last segment that God will heal their land. And what happens is because this is mistaught, misapplied, and taken out of context, that what happens is that there becomes a frustration. That without a doubt, there have been many honest-minded Christians who have been taught this verse. And they've been taught that if my people, which are called my, my name, shall humble themselves, and they do their best to humble themselves, and pray, and they set themselves to pray, and seek my face, and they do their best to do that, and turn from their wicked ways, and they try to get as thoroughly right with God as possible, that the Bible says, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And what happens is that people look at our country and they said it's falling apart. And without a doubt, there are issues with our country. There are things that are happening now that we never thought would see happen within our lifetime. We've seen things happen. And so the people said, well, I have prayed. I've humbled myself. I've tried to be obedient. I'm not a, a hypocrite Christian. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to be honest. How come our country is still falling apart? It says it'll heal our land. I mean, how come we're still having problems with Washington? How come we're still having problems in Madison? How come we're still having problems here? Why isn't things fixed? And people come to the idea that what is going on? Well, could it be that we've taken this verse out of context and we have an expected result that the Bible does not say to expect? Could it be that there's a misunderstanding of this verse that what has happened because of it that we're not doing things the way that the Bible said it ought to be done? This is one of the reasons why we should always take a Bible verse and keep it within the context that it is found. Because when you take it out of context and take it out of where it belongs, what happens is that people will, even good, honest-minded people, look at this and will misapply it. Now, without a doubt, the Bible says quite a bit that we are to Uh, humble ourselves. All throughout the Bible, we're supposed to humble ourselves. Without a doubt, the Bible says that we're supposed to pray. The Bible puts a big emphasis on there. The Bible says that we're supposed to seek God's face over and over. This is repeated. Over and over, it says that we should turn from their wicked ways. So we're not saying that these things are not things we ought to do. Very much, this verse is saying it, and the Bible repeats it. It is the expected result that we're looking at that becomes the wrong thing, the expected result. What is the context of this verse? Well, this verse is in the context of King Solomon dedicating the temple to God. And as he's dedicating the temple to God, in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 6, which we hit last Sunday, last Sunday morning, Solomon gives six specific prayer actually seven specific prayer requests that when he prayed had an expectation of God to answer. Quickly, we're not going to go over every one of them, but he spoke about that if uh, people sin against them and they're having problems with with, uh, neighbors and coming to an agreement that they could pray to God. That if their land comes to the place where they're under oppression, where because they've disobeyed God, God has sent punishment, they could pray to God. And if they come to them, that God would forgive them. It got to the place, uh, prayer request that if strangers, people who are not part of the Hebrew people come and ask God for prayer requests that God promised to answer their prayers to prove that they're God. That if they come to the place where, where they need God to work, they can expect to do so. Now in the context of it, as Solomon is giving almost a predictive prayer, that he is saying that if we mess up, and they people did, and because they messed up, they refused to turn to God, and in history, the people did, And because of that, God brought destruction upon their land, and God did, and brought the people into foreign lands, which God did. Remember, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed in 722 BC by the Samaritans. 
uh, by the Assyrians rather. And the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. When the people were taken by the Babylonians, they were brought and scattered throughout the Babylonian empire. At the end of 70 years, as God said, the people under Daniel turned and said, guess what? 70 years are up. God, will you restore our land? And people under Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel and Nehemiah returned back to the land, just as God said. And that was part of what Solomon said, that if the people find themselves in, in captivity because of the judgment of God, if they would return to God, God would return them back to the land. And that's what happened, that God had predicted or Solomon had predicted what was going to happen 500 years before it happened and already asked God that God would restore them. And God did, exactly as God had said. Now, this also has a further context that not only is it talking about um, Solomon making this prayer and going to the temple and dedicating it to the Lord, but the book of 2 Chronicles is written under Ezra during the return. So now as the people have come back to the land and Ezra is writing under the inspiration of God and recounting the history, there's a special emphasis placed here in 2 Chronicles that is not placed in the book of 1 Kings of Solomon praying and asking God to restore the people back to the land. And this is part of the context is that Ezra is writing this to remind the people here that God has brought you back and that God has made a promise that if you turn back to him, he can help restore the land when we mess up. And he's trying to encourage them because at this time, the people are starting to get cold hearted towards God. The people during Ezra's time are getting to the place where they're more invested in trying to make their houses more comfortable than trying to take care of the house of God and trying to take of God's business. And so Ezra is trying to say, wait a second, wait a second. This is what got us in trouble the first time is that we weren't looking towards God. This is what got us in trouble the first time is because we weren't seeking after God. This is what happened the first time is that we were too proud and that we were looking at ourselves and not trusting God. This is what happened the first time is that we wouldn't turn from our wicked ways and God had to do something drastic to get our attention. And so God has already saved us. God has already delivered us back. Please don't go back and that God has made provision that we could seek after him. So this is part of that context of what is going on is that the people are starting to get cold hearted. This is preaching. This is a reminder of what is going on. In fact, notice the direct context in verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. This is the second time that God has has shown up physically or showed up uh, in a real way to Solomon. This is the second time. This is a big deal. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer. So now we're getting the context. What prayer did Solomon pray? The prayer that's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, speaking about returning the people back to the land if they would seek after God. Verse number 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence, pandemic, among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now the context, verse 12, God is saying, I heard what you prayed in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And verse 14, he says, here's the summary of what you prayed. If I was to take everything that you prayed, Solomon, and put it into one verse, here's the one verse, that what you asked me to do is heal our land. So I'm telling you, and because of what you said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal 
their land. Verse 14 is going to be the specific answer to prayer that God gave to Solomon in response to what Solomon prayed in verse 6. Now again, we're laying out context. We're going to show how it applies to us in just a second. But that's the context. That's going to be very important to note because we want to make sure we get the right application with the right expected result. So let's break down this verse and get an understanding. Let's start off with if my people. If my people. The immediate context of this verse specifically is dealing with the Hebrew people. We have to note that this is dealing with the Hebrew people. God had warned the people that if they didn't obey the Lord, he would send a pestilence. He would send plague. He would send drought. He would send captivity to the people. If they still didn't obey, then they would be brought in captivity. If in captivity, those people would cry out to God, God would hear and bring them back to the land and to the temple. That's part of it here. To the temple, (coughs) which was built for the Lord in the first place to heal the land of the pestilence and the plague and the drought and the problems of the land. So that's the immediate context that he's going to bring them back to a place and to that land, what had happened to the land. Drought, pestilence, disease, all that into the land. God was going to heal the land, bring the people there back to a place and to the purpose of them coming to the temple to honor and worship the Lord. Now, may I acknowledge that we are not Hebrew people. So how does this verse apply to us? That's a great question. Hold your finger here. Let's see for ourselves the book of 2 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, rather, 1 Peter chapter number 2. So towards the end of your Bible, we have the book of 1 Peter. We want to make sure that we're getting the right application so we can make sure we get the right expected result. God had promised to the Hebrew people that he would bring them back to their land that God had given to them and he would heal their land. If we're going to make an application to us as New Testament people, and we can, we have to have some things understood. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But ye, speaking about us Christian people, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We'll continue in just a second, but notice this. He's called us his people. He's called us his people unto himself, a peculiar people. He's called us to be a special people to him. Verse number 10, which in times past were not a people, But now a people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So before we were not Hebrew people, we were people without the promises of God, but God has chosen us unto himself. And now we get to enjoy the promises of God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and us accepting those promises. Now we're one of his people who he died for and he has made a peculiar treasure, a peculiar people. But notice this, we don't have a nation. We don't have a land. Our headquarters is heaven. That's where we're going to. We don't have a land. So how do we apply this if we don't have a land? land. Do we need heaven to be healed? So what's going to be healed according to this verse? Well, where is it that God's people, the New Testament people we call Christians, where do they meet at physically? That's right. The local assembly. Remember, the church is not these four walls. It is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves, assembling themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Where is the physical place where the Christians meet? The church, the local church, the assembly together. So what land is going to be healed? Not the physical geopolitical nation we live in, but rather the assembly we gather at 
that's what needs to be healed. That's what needs to be fixed because it needs to function a certain way. We call it revival. Do you know the natural state of a church should be revival? And any church that is not in revival is not functioning the way that God intended it to happen. So now as we understand that we are a people, so we can apply this verse, we also have to apply this verse to the land that God has given to us, the assembling of our people here on earth together as a local New Testament church, and that we are what needs healed. And that's part of our problem, isn't it? That we want everyone else fixed, but we have a hard time wanting us fixed. When it is our local New Testament church that needs to be healed, that needs to be taken care of. As you turn back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, may I say that quite often when 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 is preached, there's a motive behind it. The motive of preaching 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, 7 verse 14 out of context is because they have a different definition of revival. The idea that most people have, and may I say from us to time to time, may I say specifically me from time to time, that the idea of revival that we think it means is that there's going to be a sweeping change across our nation. What does that mean? It means that the political candidate we want to be elected gets elected. That what we think by revival is that the judge that we want to be in the Supreme Court gets to be placed in the Supreme Court. And we think that if we could somehow make things right in politics, that it equivalates that our land is healed. And may I say that because we're looking for the wrong thing, that we're looking and we don't see the right result because our eyes are somewhere, because we have the wrong definition. God did not say that he is going to fix our government. He did not say he was going to fix people's political background. He was not going to put the policies we want. In fact, the, book, the verse of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, is not quoted in the way that we expect it to be quoted in the New Testament. Why? All right, let's think. In Paul's day, what was the ruling government? Rome. Do you think Paul was saying, guess what? We need to go ahead and pray because we want the Roman government fixed. <laughs> they did not want the Roman government fixed. <laughs> that was not their idea. They said, we do live in a corrupt government. There's nothing we can do about that. We need to make sure that we're fixed. If we are going to have the result that God wants to do within our wicked land, we have to be fixed. We have to be operating the way that we should. It's us. If my people, we need us fixed. What was Paul doing in that day? They were establishing New Testament churches. They were seeing people come to know the Lord as their savior. They were seeing people discipled and they were seeing new churches started. And as that church had God's power and God's presence, they went and started another church and saw people saved, people discipled, and more churches started. And as that church was functioning properly, they saw more people saved, more people discipled, and more churches established. Why? Because they had revival. They had God's presence. They had God's promise that it wasn't the land that needed to be fixed. It was the local assembly here on earth that needed God's power. And so we do have this promise of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. But the end result is not for America to be fixed. The result is for our local assembly to be fixed and functioning the way that God intended it to be functioning. May I say, when we say that we look at this verse, we have to start with my people and realize it's us. It's us that needs to be modified. It is us that needs to be fixed. That God wants to put his power, his revival, his new life upon the church. Now, as we define our terms, remember that revival carries the idea of new life or life again. Not life the first time. When someone is lost, they don't have life. They don't have eternal life. 
they need to get eternal life. And they get that by recognizing that they're a sinner. For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That because of our sins that we've offended a holy, righteous God and we all deserve the awful place of hell. But Jesus died for us and we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we personally accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we now get life eternal. That's life the first time. Revival is getting Relife, meaning that I have this life and it needs to be fanned. That flame needs to be pumped up, that it's been dying out, it's becoming embers, it's been dying out, that my fervor, my heatedness, my passion is kind of dried out and I've been just surviving my Christian life. And may I say that that's where we're at quite often, is that we have a weak, anemic Christian life. And what we need revival is for that life to be fanned. That flame set my soul afire, Lord. That's revival. Revival doesn't go to a lost world. They need salvation. It is us that needs revival. If my people, it is us that needs this. And so the end result is not America has changed. It's that we have God's power once again for God to do what he wants with his people and his assembly as we see second chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 we say if my people notice this which are called by my name which are called by my name if we are saved meaning that we've come to the place where we realize that we're a sinner and because of our sin that we've offended a holy righteous God but that Jesus paid the price for us and we personally accepted Christ to be our savior if we are saved we carry God's name we are called Christians we're identified with Christ we carry his name if we are called by his name we are to understand that all the attention is to the Lord because it is his name that we carry He's the one that we're representing. Oftentimes, because we have the wrong definition of revival, we put our concentration on the land being healed. But what if revival is something else? What if revival is something else? And what if in the context of this verse, we find what are we talking about with true revival? Well, I'm so thankful we could look at the context and find, it, it, find out the answer. Notice with me 2 Chronicles chapter 7, still in the context. Let's see if we could find a good definition, a revival of what we're looking for. Now, may I also state here that you'll not find the word revival anywhere in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So what is it that we should be looking for? What is it that we need? Notice with me 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Notice with me verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying that the fire came down from heaven. May I pause? This is a very big event. There are four times in the word of God where the fire of heaven came down and consumed a sacrifice. This was to show God's approval of the request. This right here is going to be the third of four times that the fire has come down. <coughs> Excuse me. So as we look here, notice in verse 1. Now when Solomon had made it into praying, the fire had come down from heaven showing God's approval and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord. Why? Because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire had come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house. They bowed themselves with the faces upon the ground, upon the pavement, and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. What is it that is the emphasis? The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Three times this phrase, the glory of the Lord, is shown here. Let's define our terms. The word glory has two different definitions. It's a very powerful word. Now, the glory of the Lord is one of those things that's very hard to understand. And so because it's hard to understand, it's very hard to kind of formulate into words to try to explain what is the glory of the Lord. The best we could do is try to give definition of what this word glory is and see if it could kind of give us an idea of what is the glory of the Lord? What are we looking for? What is expected to happen? The word glory, first of all, means to be worthy 
or weighty, worthy or weighty, meaning that you give weight to something that's important. If it's important to you, you put weight on it, saying this is important, I put value on this, this is something that takes a priority, something that's lighter is something that's, well, if I get to it, I get to it. So the first idea of glory is that it's worthy or waiting. We put it important. If we're going to show the glory of the Lord, that means he is the most worthy, the weightiest part, the most important thing in our life. We give our life and time and energy to God because of the weight, the value, the worth that we place in our life. We are exalting him saying there's nothing more important than you God. That's the glory of the Lord. That's the first definition. Is to put value and weight upon him. That he is the most important part. The other definition of glory. Carries the idea to have light or to make shine. So when we're glorifying the Lord the way that we should, not only are we put in weight and value saying that he's important and everything I do is because of him, but also it carries the idea that we're putting the spotlight on God. Everyone look at him. Everyone look at him. Everyone look at him. We want everyone else to see what is the glory, what is important. It's not me. It's him. It's him. That's the glory of the Lord. When God shows up, these things are important. When God shows up, we realize that he is important. When God shows up, we want everyone to look at him, not look at us, not look at the church, not look at the things going on. We want him to look at him. He's the one that the spotlight should be showing on. Exalting the glory of God is far more important than healing the land. We've got our eyes on the wrong thing. It's not just America needs to be fixed. The thing that needs to happen is that our eyes need to be on him. Everyone needs to look at him. He's the one that we need to put the attention on. He's the important thing of this. Putting God's attention on the Lord, the spotlight on God, is more important than getting our guy elected. Having people's eyes on the Lord is more important than getting our policy voted in. Getting our eyes on the Lord and having others look at the Lord is more important than some political party taking precedence. It's all about him. No wonder we have a hard time with a verse here because we're expecting a different result than what God had promised. And we're looking and putting our attention on the wrong thing. If our goal is to make America better, then we're falling short. Our efforts and emphasis should be making God glorified, shining the light on him that it all looks at him. So if God is the goal, how is that accomplished? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 explains that. That if my people, which are called by my name, shall first of all humble themselves. Humble themselves. If the idea of true revival is not to heal our land, but the idea of true revival is to glorify the Lord, the very first step is to humble ourselves. This will be the hardest thing that we'll do. The idea of humbling ourselves carries the idea to come to the end of ourselves. To come to the end of ourselves. It's to recognize that it's not about us but it's all about God. As John the Baptist said, that he must increase, I must decrease. This is why it's so hard. This is why we don't have revival. May I say this is why we don't have the power of God within our churches the way that we should. Because it's all about us. It's how I feel. It's what I want to do. It's if people look at me. But we come to the end of ourselves, it's not about us anymore. It's not about our limitations. It's not about what we're willing to do. It's all about him. One of the reasons why we don't have the power of God, that's one of the reasons why our churches need to be fixed is because it becomes all about us. It's all about us. Our meager strength, our meager ways, what we're willing to give, what we're willing to donate to, what time we're willing to give. It's all about us. May I say that one of the problems that we have and one of the reasons why we don't have revival is because <laughs> we don't even want to fix ourselves. 
It's very easy to point out other people's problems. It is something completely altogether to admit that I'm the problem. You know, it's very easy to look at Washington and just go through the roster and say, wrong, 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 wrong. doesn't matter what political party they are. You can just go, wrong, 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 wrong. Go to Madison, wrong, 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 wrong. You could look at the direction of our nation. You could look at YouTube. You could look at Twitter. You could look at Facebook and rot your brain out. Wrong, 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 wrong. It's very easy to point out what other people have issues with. It's something else to humble ourselves and admit, maybe I'm the reason this isn't working. Maybe I'm the reason why we're not seeing revival. Maybe I'm the reason why God is not getting the glory. Because I'm not willing to come to the end of myself. I'm not even willing to admit that I may be the issue. It's always someone else that needs to be fixed. You know, as a pastor, it is very common to hear, but my husband, but my kids, but so-and-so, but my Aunt Judy, my whatever. And we very rarely take the blame and say, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one that needs to be fixed. Maybe I need it changed. Maybe they will get fixed if I get fixed. I'm the issue. I'm the problem. This is for me. We're not willing to humble ourselves and even entertain the idea that I'm not as spiritual. I'm not as good. I'm not as righteous. I'm not as clean. I'm not as holy as I think I am. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Why don't we have the power of God, the glory of God? Why don't we have more of the things going on? Because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Not willing to even entertain that I'm the issue. Not willing to get out of the way. Not willing to say, well, (laughs) it's all right. You can look at me, it's fine. We want the spotlight. We want the attention. And we don't want to admit that we're the problem. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. The next thing, and pray. And pray. If the idea is that it's all about the Lord, then that will be reflected in our praying. The absence of praying shows our self-reliance and self-dependence. I don't need to pray because I've got this. When we refuse to pray, what we're doing is saying, I can handle this. I can take care of this. I don't need God's help. We have to recognize who we're praying to. In recognizing we need the Lord, the spotlight goes to him. Lord, I am not as spiritual as I think I am. I'm not as charismatic. I'm not as powerful. I don't have the words to say, I need your help. I am totally inept. I need you. Now, it's hard to humble ourselves and admit, but I need God every hour. I cannot be let loose off my leash because I'll mess everything up. I need God. I need him for my words. I need him for my counseling. I need him for my thinking. I need his strength. I cannot do it myself. If I do it myself, I will wreck the whole thing. You know what's amazing? That in what is called the model prayer, when Jesus said, let me help you to pray correctly. He said, this is what the example you should have. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. You notice all throughout there, it's talking about thy, God. It's all about you. God's will be done. It's all about him. He gave us that model of prayer. Of course, some people have taken it and used it as a mantra. They're not really talking to God, but they say it as a comforting thing. But Jesus gave that as an emphasis to say, listen, our prayer should even spotlight him. It's not my will, it's what you want to get done. It's how you want to get things accomplished. God, you're the person in charge. You tell me what to do. Lord, I need what you want to get accomplished. I don't have anything to do with this. It's all you. Our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. (laughs) Forget it now, I'm not quoting it right. But you go through there, look at all the thys there. Look at the understood yous there. You forgive us of our sins. You forgive us of our trespasses. It's all about God. Now look at your prayers. 
How often is it giving a a laundry list? Lord, I expect you to have all these things accomplished before I get home. It's not about God. It's about what God can do for you. You pray to God like you're in charge. And that you're trying to make him dance off your puppet streams. God, you take care of this. You beat up this person for me. You make them feel sorry that they ever crossed me. Lord, we pray that way. Instead of saying, God, what do you want done? God, I trust you to do whatever you need to do to fix that person. Lord, I trust you to do whatever you need to do to fix me. Lord, I want your name to be glorified. I want you to be honored in this situation. So often we pray, Lord, help heal Aunt Judy. Why should God heal Aunt Judy if Aunt Judy is not going to go to church? Why should God heal someone's marriage if they're not going to honor the Lord with it? Why should God fix some teenager if some teenagers determine that they're never going to serve God? Why should he give them healing? God, you fix and heal this teenagers in the hospital so they could serve you with their life and health and strength. Lord, you fix this marriage so both of them can serve you together. Lord, you fix this person so they could dedicate their life and you, uh, so you could use them as a servant. You understand, even the way we pray should change. How does that prayer request honor God? How does that prayer request glorify God? How does God get glory from it? So often we pray so selfish and we wonder why we don't have power. We wonder why things aren't working right, why things aren't fixed. Because even in our prayers, we're not trying to glorify God and put the spotlight so he gets the glory from it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And seek my face. As a reminder, God wants to be found. Some people have an idea that God kind of plays spiritual hide and seek like he's always around the corner and just when you catch up to him, he disappears again. That's not God, how God plays hide and seek. God plays hide and seek like a little kid does. When we go find a little kid, they want to be found. That's why they hide. Oh, you found me. God just wants us to put forth the effort to look. God promised that if you seek him, he will be found. Why don't we seek him? You ever think about that? Why don't I seek God? Well, there's a very easy answer. Because if we come face to face with God, we're afraid he's going to tell us to do something. And we don't want to. Well, if I go to God, he may ask me to be a missionary. So what? Well, if I go to God, he may make me witness to someone. So what? If I go to God, he may want me to get rid of my bitterness and I don't want to stop being mad at someone. We have a hard time going to God because we're afraid he's going to give us something to do. You say, is that how it works? Oh yeah. When's the last time you finished off a job and went to your boss and said, what else can I do? Why don't you seek after him? Because you don't want to do something else. We don't seek after God because we're afraid he's going to give us something to do. Something that we don't want to do. Give up a hobby. Give up some time. Go make a telephone call. Go make a visit. Go spend some more time in prayer. We're afraid he's going to give us something to do. And so thus we're willing to survive without the power of God, without having revival, without having our land, our church fixed because we don't want God to give us something to do. We don't want to seek God's face. But yet God said, this is a promise that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, And seek my face. God also gives us something else. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Why is this so hard for us? Because I like sin. And you do too. If you didn't like sin, you wouldn't do it. That's why we do sin. Because we like it. And we don't want to give it up. We don't want to turn from our wicked ways. There are some people who want to be angry. And you could try to give them all the happy things you want. Puppy dogs and rainbows and flowers. And they're going to be determined to be grumpy. They want to be grumpy. 
There are some people who don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to give up their addiction. Ah, if I go to God, I have to give up my sin. I don't want to give it up. We like sin. We like disobedience. We don't want to obey God. We want God to meet us on our terms, but we don't want to get thoroughly right. But you know that we cannot have God's glory because God will not show it as we're in a sinful state. We can be thoroughly right with God. God says in 1 John 5, <coughs> uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be cleansed. We just have to go up to him in a minute. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say, Lord, I'm sorry I sinned and not really mean it. I mean, we feel guilty, so, you know, we kind of cross it off. Lord, forgive me. Remember, the idea of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. If you were truly sorry for your sin, it would lead to a change of behavior. Lord, I'm tired of cheating on my taxes. Help me not to do it again. Lord, I'm tired of falling into this addiction. I know it's wrong. Help me not to do it again. Lord, I'm tired of being angry. Help me not to do it again. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's very easy to say, oh, well, God, I messed up, and then go do the same thing a couple minutes later. We're not willing to turn from our wicked ways. That idea of turn, to turn from it. We want to apologize so our conscience is pleased. We're no longer feeling guilty. And then a couple minutes later, given the opportunity, we'll do it again. We haven't turned from our wicked ways. We haven't repented. And thus, we don't have revival. We don't have God's power. We don't have God's glory because we're not willing to turn from our wicked ways. But notice, this is an if-then statement. If, and then then. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. May I remind you that you have a God who's in heaven who hears and answers prayer. That's exactly what we have here. Solomon prayed in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God says, I heard your prayer. Let me recap your prayer and give you that promise that if they do this, I'll do this. God hears and answers our prayer. I'm so thankful that we have a God who hears and answers prayer. God works. Not only will he work, he said, I'll forgive their sin. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin. You know, it is amazing that God can forgive us. We know for salvation that Jesus Christ saves us from the penalty of sin. But after that, we need to continue to be washed as we continue to get in sin. God has made the way we need to be clean vessels to be used of God. We need to turn from our wicked ways. And God promised to turn from us. And what God does when he forgives us is that he never brings it up ever again. He allows us to start from where we are and move forward. Isn't that a wonderful God? Is that he gets rid of those chains? He says, listen, I know what you've done in the past, but start from where you are. Let's take another step. Let's move forward. That's the wonderful thing about our God is that he doesn't keep reminding us of our failures. He says, I want to set you free so you can move forward. Every single one of us in this church and every single one of you at the sound of my voice can start from where you are because of the grace of God. And move forward. What a wonderful God that we have. We don't have to be bandaged down. Then notice this. And will heal their land. Now we know for the context of Solomon and the Hebrew people. That God did deliver this. And brought the people from bondage back into the land. And allowed them to restore it again. And this promise is still up. That one day God is going to finish what he said he was going to do. And bring the Hebrew people back to their land during the millennial kingdom. God still has this in, in effect. He's still working with the Hebrew people. And he still has a plan for them. But for us as New Testament people we don't have a geopolitical nation. We don't have a land we call our own. 
but we do have a local assembly we assemble at that is a physical, visible place that we could assemble to, that we have done this morning, we've assembled. And God promised that he would heal our land, he could heal our assembly. What happens when God heals a local assembly? When God's glory is upon his church again, we could see the glorifying business of seeing people saved, of seeing people discipled, to see churches started, to see people looking up, seeing people accept God's promises and getting glory to his name, that people are looking at God. This promise is for us, but it is not to the application that America is going to get fixed. That's not the promise on the board. But you know what we do need? God's glory here. We need God to put his power here. We need God's revival here. So we as a New Testament church can function the way that God intended us to function. But remember it begins with us. If my people. I'm not dealing with everyone else in the room. If you could imagine for this sake, you're the only one I'm speaking to. It's you that needs to be fixed. By the way, I look at a mirror, I'm the one that needs to be fixed. You could look at everyone else and say they need fixed, they need fixed and never take care of the problem. May I say that for this application, mind your own business. Don't worry about what someone else needs to fix. What do you need to do? What do you need to do to have God's glory in your life? To have God as the most important thing? What needs to be removed? What needs to be taken care of? And if each of us individually become fixed, then us as an assembly together will have God's power. And we'll watch things happen in this church that will be undescribable because of what God and God alone can do. And that's what we should desire. And that's what we should want. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.